0: For a while now, you might have heard me tell you the podcast is sponsored by Zencaster, and it still is. I've been working with Zencaster as my audio host for quite some time now. The podcasting industry has also grown at an exponential rate over the past two years and it's expected to grow to more than a $150 billion industry by 2030. I've said before, I'm a huge fan of podcasting and if you're a fan of podcasting or investing, maybe both, Zencaster has now announced its round of crowdfunding. You can invest as little as $100 and join a community of other investors who seek to help Zencaster and independent podcasters succeed. If you're interested in investing in Zencaster, go to wefunder.com forward slash Zencaster or click the link in my episode description below to claim your slice of the future of podcasting. I'd like to thank User Interviews for sponsoring this episode. Folks, after the holiday period, many of us start to feel that pinch in our bank balances. I know with having young kids, I certainly do. So earning a little extra income never hurts. That's where User Interviews can help you out. It's completely free to sign up. By giving some of your time, you can get paid for providing feedback on new or existing products with companies like Spotify, Adobe, Intuit and Amazon, among those looking to speak with quality participants. Most studies are less than one hour and pay over $68. Some studies pay several hundred dollars for a one-to-one interview. This is one that really does give you something back for your time and I'm really glad to be able to give folks an opportunity to make a bit of extra cash at a very tough time of year. So why not even stick on an episode of the podcast while you sign up? That can take less than five minutes. Are you ready to earn extra income from sharing your expert opinion? Then head over to userinterviews.com slash hello to sign up and participate today.
1: I am George Knapp listening to That UFO Podcast and having one hell of a good time.
0: Hi, everyone, and welcome back to That UFO Podcast. My name is Andy, definitely, uh, take two. And joining me for a breakdown to discuss a few newsworthy notes from the last week in January 2023 is Dan. Dan, welcome.
1: Hey, hey, hey. Uh, I'm racking my brain for a movie quote right now. Uh, just, just to use, I, I think I'll just use the quote, bomb, and see if people uh, get, get, get with a fairly recent show, I would say.
0: Okay. Last of Us?
1: spot on there you go <laughs> ah.
0: do you know i've watched the uh first episode of last of us in bits because i hate seeing stuff where kids get killed no spoilers um but yeah that's why i stopped watching war of the worlds as well the remake to bring it back to ufos as well that uh so many kids died in the remake of war of the worlds and i get because of an alien invasion lots like, and lots of people are yeah, yeah, oh, absolutely, they were killing the cast off left, right <laughs> and centre, yeah. Um, typhoid? Uh, no, the, there was loads of kids' deaths all the time, and it was really dark, and yeah, see having young children, I just can't watch them anymore. Um, but yeah, yeah that's, anyway, that's fair enough. The, a few news points to go over, Dan. Uh, we're going to do a double recording this weekend, it was going to be today, but I've not really slept for about three days, given I have an 18-month-old or 20-month-old who just doesn't want to sleep the last few nights, and myself and my wife are struggling for sleep. Um. So we're going to do this one recording and then we'll get the David Palaides missing 411 UFO connection review done hopefully over the weekend for people for next week. Um, Been a bit light on shows this week. There's only been this breakdown since the last breakdown. But next week there should be two or maybe even three coming out and a few other guests and shows lined up as well heading into February, folks. So the releases aren't slowing down. It's just me and my old age. That's it. Rough week. But Dan, um, is your curiosity weaponized with a Z or an S?
1: You know what? I'm a, I'm a big fan of switching the S's for Z's. Uh, you know, my social media is the Signal, not the Signal, but it was uh, yeah. because of the movie The Signal. Um, but yeah, big 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 fan of switching the letter. Big fan of the first episode, of Weaponize. What did you think?
0: Oh. Well, I- you, you got what I was doing there, good, That's, I'm glad. Yeah, so, <laughs> do, do you know what? I enjoyed, for those who haven't seen, uh, if you're not on social media particularly, Jeremy Corbell and George Knapp have released a podcast series, YouTube channel, a bit of both. Um, Dan knows my thoughts on people calling youtube shows podcasts you know i'm a purist it's audio form radio isn't tv um but i know they're mutually exclusive hi to all the youtube folks hello um but yeah i'm, I'm glad to see those two are putting out some regular content uh, not everyone's on social media and able to see jeremy corbell messaging on instagram or on twitter or on his facebook and it's a good way to consume information for people uh, on a kind of larger scale so it's only a good thing these two are together putting out more information i get and i think the big thing for me straight away i was thinking dan when i saw them announce it some folks find it really frustrating when jeremy corbell drops a story we get a a big information drop and one half hour period usually high noon somewhere pacific time and then (laughs) there's no follow-up or jeremy kind of goes away and does some other things and he's not instantly available for everyone to ask questions or come back at him I suppose this makes it a lot harder for for him to do, doesn't it? Because he's going to have a platform that he's going to be expected to, if he makes some kind of announcement or they talk about some sort of leak or drop or image drop, as we'll talk about,
1: he's got to follow it up. Yeah, exactly. Um, I don't know how regular the shows are going to be. You know, there's going to be a show next week, uh, Tuesday, I think it is, where he he said that he's going to follow this up, but... um, it it's nice that he has a space now and with with George where they can present what they've been given in their own way. They're no longer relying on, you know, Tucker Carlson to pick the right clips and you, you know, we always uh hate the fact that they pick hoaxes to kind of play over, you know, when Jeremy or Lou is speaking on those shows. So yeah, it's a really great thing that they have control of it now and that they can show, you know all the information they have, but as well as that, give a bit more context. Uh, there, there was some interesting stuff at the beginning in this from George where he was telling the story of how he met Bob Lazar essentially, mm-hmm. and, and the John Leah kind of information, which I highly recommend, uh, just because you, you get a really good sense of where George is coming from with this. He he didn't meet Bob Lazar and throw all his eggs in that basket. He, he met Bob Lazar and was really curious about it. Um, wanted to kind of see if it was real. You know, so George has really gone through the same things as as skeptics and, and believers, you know. He he's questioned what's being put in front of him. Um and yet he's still where he is, you know, this award-winning journalist, uh doing still doing this work all these years later.
0: It's it's very much an introductory episode, largely for the first what, hour of the hour and twenty minutes, talking about George, like you say, his background, how he met Lear, how he met Lazar that story that some will be familiar with some less so um and then jeremy Corbell talking about how he got involved how he then met george their relationship and how that's grown and yeah so i I enjoyed that nothing necessarily new i think in the first hour if you're well versed in Corbell or nap um but it's always worth kind of listening back to anyway it's very well produced it looks nice um very much those who are sitting on a couch having a chat um like a lot of those types of in-person podcasts are done. Like if we were doing this, we would be in the same space in a room, and you'd have the mics either side, a couple of couches, a couple of chairs, and kind of go from there.
1: Um, one it, one day we'll do that. Uh, you know, we just yeah. we just don't live near each other, and and I've gone to the other side of the planet now, so we we need longer cables at least. Absolutely,
0: longer tin cans on strings. <laughs> um, it kind of struck me though, Dan, that this seems to be the kind of evolved version of George Knapp's Mystery Wire. So, George Knapp had his own podcast or YouTube channel where he would talk to guests, he would have news updates, not dissimilar to this or other shows, and this just seems to maybe be George taking that next step up, one in terms of production values, but two, he now has Jenny McCorbell doing it alongside him as well, which obviously brings a whole host of sources and information and conversation back and forward with the two of them, um, Yeah.
1: What do you and, think? And I would say like some some production acumen as well. You know, Jeremy is, is a self-starter in terms of, you know, making and producing oh God, and yeah. editing and putting out his own stuff. So now George doesn't have to talk to, you know, people at Mystery Wide to kind of go, oh yeah, cut it this way, cut it that way. Jeremy's just going to be on it, right? Uh, so yeah. yeah, really good space.
0: What do you think it could produce then from these two? Again, before we get to talking about what happened at the end and the orb photograph that we'll we'll touch on, which was the big reveal release from this, what are you expecting in this series?
1: So I, I would expect basically Jeremy and George to have as many people on, you know, all their contacts or the testimony for that to kind of be rolled out and a story to be told, a picture to be painted, so to speak. Already after episode one, the, the picture that... Uh, Moultrie mm-hmm. and Bree painted during the the UAP hearings by saying that you know the, those craft were bokeh and that they weren't anything anomalous. That picture is already kind of being blown apart by you know the testimony included in, in this show. Um, so yeah, given given more context, talking to some really interesting people, uh, I saw Robbie Williams uh, posted out. Mm-hmm. Uh, Robbie Williams of Take That fame, a um, bit bit of a old school one. Um, but yeah, he he posted out the weaponized show, so hopefully we'll see people like him going on and just talking about their experiences because I know he went to Skinwalker with Jeremy. Yeah. Um, but as well as that, George and Jeremy just get sent things all the time, um, footage wise, UAP footage wise. So I would I just glad just like to clear that up. That kind of <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they just get a lot of mail. Um, yeah, so yeah, they'll they'll be able to share and present that uh, in in their own way.
0: Jeremy mentioned a few things for me that I I thought were... Oh, just before that. um, So for me, you're right, the the more regular stream of information is going to be a good one on this. When I studied journalism, which I did, folks, for a short time, um, at college and in university, we were always told when writing articles that the first paragraph of the article should basically contain the whole story within it, that if no one read past that, they would get the gist of what was happening. And then each subsequent paragraph should give a little bit more information and the rest of the paragraph shouldn't really be necessary. That You could read it in that order and not miss out on much more information. Each kind of paragraph gives more context. I think what we can get sometimes in a social media age with people like Jeremy and George Knapp dropping information that they can and when they can, we get that first big paragraph and big headline And then a lot of the context can either go missing or as the days and weeks progress, the chances for following up, they just maybe aren't there. And that's not because they're being avoided by George and Jeremy. It's just the nature of the way I think modern journalism or reporting kind of works. And I think this platform, like you say, gives them that chance that over a week, two, three, four weeks, they can come back to a story and say, actually, here's some follow up you know i think one of the big things that i would expect and i'm sure jeremy will be expecting himself i text him about this was that he gets a lot of things thrown at him from debunkers or skeptics or even believers asking questions to follow up and at least now he has the opportunity to come back and combat some of that stuff and again we're going to come to that when we speak about the orb aren't we
1: um excited. that's a really good point um you know because we see jeremy talking back to people all the time on twitter but if you're not on twitter you're not going to see that context that you know there, there was a really good one this week where someone said to him oh you said that hundreds of these these contacts swarmed these ships and he broke it down really simply he was like this is the amount of ships that were there you do the math and you could see basically the um, you, you know, we had the Omaha, the Peralta, the Russell, the Kidd, the Finn, the Guilfords, the Bunker Hill, the Hamilton, the Pic- Pinckney, or Pinckney, and the Roosevelt. You put 10 contacts over each of those, which is purely reasonable. You know, that, that's not some big sci-fi swarm or something. Um, and they all add up over all of those ships at the same time to, to you know, 90, 100 contacts. So, yeah, you get you get context that, that paints these things as a little more subtle than the headlines uh, would have you believe.
0: Yeah, it's it's a really good opportunity for for them to be following up on on that kind of information, and that's that's what's exciting about it for me. A um, couple of things that stood out though for me was Jeremy mentioning that there are other UFO programs in the U.S. government and hopes we find out about those. Now, that's maybe a mic drop for some people and for others, it's just, well, of course, there are other UFO programs in the government. It wouldn't have just been ATIP or OSAP and other departments would have their own independent hidden away studies. But, I mean, he said it deliberately, you know, it was very much a, I know there are other programs and hopefully we find out about those. Um, It doesn't come up too often, though, does it, in interviews? I think we can focus so much on what we know, which is OSAP into ATIP, then obviously, arrow and my god the acronyms they even joke about the acronyms early on i think george knapp has to say you know for those maybe the tmz generation who are coming over from Corbell's work are looking going what bass and arrow and (laughs) painsog and it it does and if you listen to this podcast and think sometimes you get lost in it i do as well i know dan you sound like you know a hell of a lot better than i do and you do it's hard
1: to remember them all right
0: yeah it's it's like trying to get the original Sugar Babes lineup and then go from there to the, the Sugar Babe stand. Just to, you mentioned, take that before, get some old school pop references in. <laughs> Let's just get um, them all in. i
1: mean yeah, the Spice Girls one.
0: Yeah. Oh, they, they only had the lineup and then Jerry left. Um, <laughs> but listen, uh, as I was saying, the, the the programs aren't discussed. Do you think that's stuff that's likely to come out? For me, that's, that's something Jeremy's got to kind of follow up on. Other UFO programs within the government.
1: Yeah, I think so. You know, we've got this secure system now. We've heard that people are going to be testifying into that, uh, people that we haven't heard the names of. Um, I would expect that they're cluing in these committees and, and Representatives to these programs. I think the the number we've heard from Jeremy before is that there are four legacy programs, and I would expect that those four legacy programs are each looking at a different area. Um, so, you know, if you've got a program in the Air Force, they're going to be looking at how these ships can can help them fly. If you're looking at something from the DoD, they're probably looking at you know how the technology can help them in a defensive way or an offensive way. You know, they're going to be looking at like weapon systems or propulsion or something else. Um, but what's great now about all the efforts that we have that we know about is that they they don't kind of contain their information like that you know the people that study the engine will talk to the people that study the the walk bubble if there is one you you know um so did you pick up on the
0: exchange jeremy and george had around that whistleblower legislation because jeremy mentions you know about the legislation and whistleblowers coming forward you know who's going to come forward from a program like lockheed for it or a place like lockheed for example and, yes. and talk about what they know and george, george interrupted at that point like we know it was like well problem. we yeah we do know who's going to come forward and jeremy went yeah. oh yeah actually so that was another little thing that was touched on but skipped over um
1: And And, uh, Lockheed uh, has been pointed out so, so much. You know, even if you go back to, to, I think it was Indiana Jones, there there was like this big warehouse with all the artifacts in it. Yeah, it's on their box. the Lockheed symbol. And Spielberg just keeps throwing back to Lockheed having something to to hide, essentially. Uh, So I would expect that, like others, that one of these programs or some of these programs are in private industry, and that's how they keep them away from FOIA.
0: Yeah, at at the end of the podcast, they they talk about the Mosul orb. So this was from Iraq in April twenty sixteen. Now, if you're on social media the last few days, it's probably been the big talking point. Jeremy Corbell and George Knapp have released uh, a still image from what's meant to be a four second, excuse me, a four second video. Now, if I'm correct, Dan, and I think I am. They have never said that they've seen the video. They are just saying that the image is from a four-second video, which apparently this metal ball or metal sphere, as it appears, in, in the middle of a street from, like, a, a, if you're listening to this on audio, it's like a Google Map street view looking down from, like, eagle's eye view, and there's a metal sphere. Now, let's just take it at first. That it, it is a sphere. Jeremy's saying it's from a four-second video. It was flying alongside this... Reconnaissance aircraft, US military, and this is a still from the video. We've not seen the video. Others are saying when you look at it, it could potentially be the reflection from a puddle on the ground. Um and I can't disagree that when that was put to me, I said, ah, yeah, maybe. However, to bring it back, Mick West was asked about it, and I believe he even said himself, I saw it on someone's Twitter feed that. It couldn't be the reflection of the sun because of the angle the aircraft would have been at and that's the right. angle of the sun at that of day, it wouldn't have reflected in such a way.
1: So here we are. Whether Which, it's a puddle, a reflection. Them, right? <laughs> yeah, but that's that's you know, what he's, he's meant to do. So, yeah, he gets absolutely. a lot, right? And this this is a good example of where Mick is you know, he he's he's got his head screwed on, uh the the issue people have is when it comes to talking about witness testimony that he just pushes aside. Things like this, you know, he, he's good at working out puzzles and problems. And yeah, you're right. Like he, he explained that the angle that the plane's at, it wouldn't reflect in that way.
0: Devil's advocate moment, Dan. Is sure. it, how do I word this? I'm going to use the way you have came back on that as the general response, right? And I'm not saying I disagree or agree with you. Sure. But if someone leveled at you, You can't just accept Mick West doing the work being good this time because it fits what you believe as opposed to when it doesn't that we would say, well he doesn't want it to be that because who's to say he's not wrong in this case and it could be a puddle and he's just got it wrong. one, One minute he's a video game developer, the next minute he's a you know, sun position specialist. <laughs> I <couldn't laughs> that really badly. So I could see why people if someone's listening to this and I know people sit on different areas of it, could be like, Oh well, you can't just disagree with them one moment and then agree the next. But yeah, it it still could be a reflection. It still could be a water droplet on the screen. Unlikely, it could be a metal sphere flying along. Come back on the west point for me first, Dan, and then I'll I'll ask you something else.
1: Yeah, sure. So um you know, mix mixed hypotheses are what they are. I, I always say to people, you know, fair enough if you don't want to engage with him, um, but it's always worth considering what the kind of, the debunkers and the skeptics are saying, because you kind of get to balance things when you do that. Don't just listen to the believers who instantly say, oh yeah, this is something anomalous. And, you know, they'll tell you that it's from the Pleiades system and so on and so forth. Um, don't just listen to one side of those. Take Take all of those things in and just hold them lightly. You know, chances are, unless we definitively see, you know, this this orb returning to a planet out there or, you know, going back to a mothership, we'll probably never know that it's just anything more than an anomalous thing. Um, But this is kind of where we are with it. There's just this big pile of data of, of question marks um that kind of seemingly leading to or or like you you like to say your puzzle analogy right like we've got enough pieces that we're like yeah there's something there's something strange in the middle of this picture and we're kind of building it as we go but you have to take in all sides and and consider them at least
0: uh i think for this so just just to build on that we need the video i have people message me about this who do podcasts on other topics and and such and i've maybe been on their podcast and chatting about ufos and they've asked me about it and they've largely said the same thing of oh, where's the video and that's it it's like yeah, well, we need that video because right now to go back to the jigsaw puzzle analogy dan we've got we've got the jigsaw complete there's the picture but does the front of the box say metal sphere floating above ground does it say <laughs> puddle with sun reflecting off it and it's Beautiful.
1: just like iraq reflective puddle scene yeah (laughs) yeah yeah yeah, exactly (laughs) it's like
0: we need the video and i would love to hear jeremy clear up have you seen the video or are you saying you've spoken to someone who has seen the video
1: correct me if i'm wrong jeremy released uh with the omaha sphere he he released stills of that first because i remember putting a couple of stills together to kind of try and figure out you know the motion from it um so yeah, I'm, I'm kind of more of the side of, I think he's probably seen the video and he ch- chose a screenshot from it to share. Uh, but for me, the, the frustration comes from, you know, take, take the frame after or the frame before it's over that hole in the road, just so we can see that it's not related, you know.
0: <laughs> right this is and if anyone's thought i'm rambling on this it's again because i am extremely sleep deprived okay so hopefully i've made sense and i've forgotten half of my follow-ups to dan already but i've just remembered (laughs) something that i thought of at the time when i was watching the podcast do you think a lot of of what jeremy corbell does and i suppose i could lump george knapp in with it in that sense that they're working on this together but it seems to be very much jeremy's style and approach how they get this stuff out it's when it's like when people see a movie trailer and they judge what the end product's going to be just off the back of the trailer. And we're all, we're all guilty of it. Some people don't like to see the trailers, and they won't even watch them. I've got a friend who does that, and they'll wait and see the final product. Jeremy likes to release a lot of movie trailers, and then you have to wait for the end product down the line. And even then, you're still going to be potentially undecided. You might change your mind or not. But it just seems to me that this is this is a trailer. And already we're all jumping on the back of it saying Chris Pratt shouldn't be the voice of Mario. However, <laughs> the the end movie, we might come out of it and go, actually, I really enjoyed that. And that was useful. That was, in, you know, that was informative. That was entertaining, whatever it might be. And I, I just think we get a lot of preludes from Jeremy. That's I've said before, and I don't mean this in a derogatory way, and I don't think he would take it this way. He, He would be the great face of the UFO subject for TMZ, you know. Which is still quite a big news organization, whether people like that or not, in terms of the reach they have and the audience they have. But he has that presentation and flair and in a social media age where people want short, snappy, bang, there's a picture with a headline of 10 words and they make a make a conclusion off the back of it. Not always entirely useful, but it works. And I just think maybe that's what we've got a bit of here because it did get picked up off of a lot of major news networks, TMZ being In- one including of them, and a, yeah. <laughs> yeah, uh, a whole feature on it as well. I don't doubt Jeremy's got connections there. But it, it seems to me that we really need the video here to go alongside this just to show us, is, is that object moving? And do you know what for, what worries me? is it's a, We know it's a four-second video, Dan, and that the four-second video comes out and we go, oh, it doesn't look like it's moving, or it's inconclusive.
1: Well, when when we talk about the speed that these things move, right, the the frame that we've seen could be the only frame in those four seconds that contains the sphere for all we know, right? Uh, so, yeah, we've, we've got to be ready for that. But I, I think you're totally right. Jeremy knows how to tell a story. He knows how to present it in this modern day. And there's, there's probably an aspect of... When when Jeremy releases something, you know, you and I and people in the community, we pore over it. We, we, you know, we find the location. We try and figure it out. Like, most people don't do that. Most people will just kind of, like you said, when you were talking about journalism, they'll read the first paragraph or just see the headline and move on with their lives. So kind of doling out the story, you know, piecemeal over a few weeks is is almost better for casual people when it comes to the subject because they get to actually go oh yeah there was a sphere oh yeah i remember seeing the sphere last week you've got testimony now okay interesting maybe i'll listen to that four minute testimony and it can build a picture in a slower way that is frustrating to people who who follow this every second of the day but to you know our mom or you know you often like to say about susan that you know she's not always completely on board but the curiosity yeah. is there it can serve people that with a more kind of casual interest in it uh so yeah J- jeremy i think is is serving them and because of how the media reacted to this uh i, I can see it's kind of like a, a no child left behind thing uh, where everyone kind of needs to be on board so you know smaller bite-sized pieces are better for the casual people
0: yeah that's why i'm releasing a new weekly interview series which is 15 seconds long uh, <laughs> <laughs> catch the tiktok generation eh um <laughs> but yeah that's that's i mean it's not unrealistic is it to be fair now no, no, that, no. <laughs> at the end of it they do mention that going forward and i think this didn't surprise me because you talked about we don't know the regularity yet it sounds like it's going to be weekly doesn't it um yeah but they mentioned that it's not going to be just ufos they're going to look into conspiracy theories true crime science and just any kind of stories that jerry mccorbell says you know weaponize his curiosity uh, just to annoy those people who hate that phrase and obviously drop it in there for those who love it. Um, but yeah, that's 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 pretty understandable, isn't it? And if they're, again, Jeremy Corbell has a pretty sizable audience, not just to do with UFOs. So they're kind of capitalizing on that. And true crime is a really big thing just now, especially any true crime podcast or series. So, so yeah, I look forward to kind of seeing what comes up. And like anything like that, I'll dive in and out of, of different episodes and shows as to, does it interest me or not? Um, but yeah, ultimately, I'm really glad that they're they're putting that out there and putting it together and uh, seeing what's what.
1: Yeah, same. It, it's a it's a really excellent show, and, and I'm excited to see what they do. The the stuff with the conspiracies it makes me wonder if because Jeremy is really all about you, you know he has a broad net for the paranormal and the supernatural, mm-hmm. but um, you know his main thing is is kind of UFOs. So I wonder if the conspiracy stuff they're going to talk about are things like Operation Paperclip, you know, where we brought over Nazi scientists and, and they'll talk about and dispel some of the myths there, um, as well as informing people that this is stuff that really happened. If they can, if they can build a good picture uh, by including those broader conspiracies, uh, I, I think they, they stand to inform and educate a, a lot of casual audience members.
0: I think it'll go more out there. I think they'll go proper really conspiratorial and yeah i i just i just don't think it'll be that conservative i know what you're saying um almost like early basement office style when they would do like i I think it'll go a lot more i could just see jeremy really wanting to go into like look did sasquatch have a baby with you know (laughs) a reptilian and nah maybe not that much but yeah I, i think it'll be interesting to see anyway and um long may it continue uh, because there's there's never too much. And it's always nice. You've got to pick and choose what you want to watch and listen to as well. And it's better to have more
1: choice or too much choice than not enough. So, um, Absolutely. Um, Just to touch on before we move on, because I can sense we're kind of wrapping this section, is just to say, you know, this testimony included in this episode from someone yes. that was uh, on one of the ships during the 2019 swarm events that the Pentagon have said were just drones. Um, the testimony from this person Uh, basically blows that out of the water, says that, you know, these contacts had uh, beams of light coming from them and they were hovering over the deck um, and that they, yeah, they would kind of, if we're talking drones, we're not talking DJI Mavic things. Uh, One of the curious things that that the person said was that they came, the drones came from the direction of Hawaii, so we're talking open water. Um, 1,800 miles, I think, is the quote. Yeah, that's right. Like, really far away from the coast and when, when they left, they went in a different direction. So it doesn't seem like they're returning to a, a home base like most drones would need to do. So whatever's happening there, that's a really right. curious piece of information.
0: Right, okay. I wanted to wrap up on that point and move on to the next one, but I'm not going to, and I'm going to try and, again, expand on this because this came to me as sure. well when I was watching it, right? And again, folks, apologize. I'm saying this in a bit of a tired state. There's really, really easy ways, though, for for that stuff to be for them to work out if these are anomalous or not because essentially what it comes down to is are these alien or are they not and if you're alien yeah. in the broad scope of crypto ultra terrestrial all that kind of stuff doesn't matter are they alien are they human now you have to and i know some people hate this but you have to allow for the fact that technology or secret tech from the u.s china russia etc has gotten to the point that drones maybe can go for longer periods of time than we're led to believe, right? So there's no yep. reason to say that, do you know what, why couldn't China have a drone that can literally fly round the earth and back to China without, you know, stopping? Maybe it can. And if these, these objects are being said to have traveled 1,800 miles, then all you have to do It's track them back to where they're going. Now, if these objects fly up into space and out into outer space behind the moon, it's probably not China or Russia. If they go underwater, deep into some base somewhere off Catalina, it's probably not China or Russia. However... We've got the tech. We know we have the tech to trace these things and follow them. So surely when these things, the Omaha event, was it three days they happened over? Hundreds, he said, swarmed it over three days or incidents I, like I that. I would
1: say it was a couple of months. Like there were a few events over a couple of months. But yeah, like contained within those, it was over several days, right? Yeah, swar- swarms of hundreds.
0: So surely yeah. to God, they, they followed one of these or a swarm of them and tracked them back to a location. Or they lose them at a point because they leave the atmosphere. And for me, that's the kind of information that probably gets then answered in classified briefings, where you hear about the incident in an unclassified version. It goes behind closed doors. And that's where a Moultrie, a Bray or others involved, a Dr. Sean Kirkpatrick, say, OK, so we talked about this uh, event before. We did then, using this piece of technology, which is highly sophisticated that we don't have out in the public arena, managed to track these back to a province off of China okay, cool, it's Chinese tech, we don't want the public knowing we know this and that China know this. Or that's where they say, as we hope, and you've got to say we hope, actually, we tracked these objects going out to this point in the ocean, half of them then shot up into the sky at a ridiculous speed, which we tracked here, and they flew off into space. And half of them went underwater, and we lost them. That's where the more interesting conversations come out. But that's the kind of stuff that we don't hear, and is probably, I'm guessing, what happens in these behind-closed-door briefings.
1: You you would hope so, you know. I, I hope they're not taking kind of conclusions that were done by people online, um, or theories that were were brought up by people online and kind of applying those and saying, "Yeah, are you taking
0: bokeh, you know, are you taking that from what they said about uh, Moultrie and Bray when they were asked about the
1: the the bokeh triangle? Yeah, kind of, yeah, that yeah. was about
0: the experiments they, they being said, done."
1: Yeah, we're off. aware of studies that have been done, not we've conducted studies, right? Like, I, yeah. I would want these people to be starting from scratch, not, you know, and the, the point of that video as well isn't that they were triangular. The point is that these mysterious contacts were violating the, the space of the ship and the airspace of the United States of America. Um, and they, they couldn't tell an origin. You, you know, you, you'd hope that they follow them and have a bit more information. Um, so there are a whole bunch of questions still there. Around that sighting, and I, I liked what you said about uh, the the technology level because, you know, yes, there are drones for sure that can last for longer than we can search for on the internet and find. Yes, there are you know there are drones videos of drones online that will transition from air to water. They take a second to do so, but if that's the stuff we're seeing, chances are that's really well developed capability uh, for for some places. Um, but then at the same time. I think I've said this before. It's kind of ingenious if they use the fact that these anomalies anomalies exist to kind of go, okay, we're going to send some drones over and we're going to make them behave really, really strange. We're going to make them come from Hawaii way. And then when they fly off, we know that the US's radar ceiling is 80,000 feet. So let's make the drones go to 80,000 feet. And then they can just Mm -hmm. drop into the ocean and shut off. They'll never find them. They think they've gone to space. They think there's something else. So
0: 80,000 feet and then blow them up. You know, self-destruct, bang, gone.
1: Precisely. And that's the idea with these drones, right? Like the drones are cheaper, so they can be used in different ways to, than conventional weapons. So there's plenty of kind of, I guess we would call that signature management, you, you know, give, giving away an impression that, that, that it's something that it's not. And that, that even comes from the other side, too. There's this idea that there's a species that's been with us for ages um, that kind of hides from us and that they want us to think that they are from out there in space when actually they're from here on Earth. And and by making themselves look like they're from out there, it means we're not searching for them. So there could be plenty of reasons for, for this kind of signature management. And it's really intriguing. Uh, I, I can't wait to hear more about this case because like I say, it, the testimony is already casting doubt on, on what the DoD said about it. And the more testimony we hear, the more media coverage we'll get, which seems pretty favorable at the moment, uh, and the better puzzle that we get to build together. So yeah, I, I'm looking forward to seeing where this goes. I'm
0: going to be completely honest and admit that I do love a bit of cool technology, but not all the best tech is classified. So when Blendjet got in touch about their new Blendjet 2.0, I was very excited to try it out, especially as one of those protein shake people that many folks hate. Just shaking never has the same results as a blender does, let's be fair. Blend Jet 2 is portable so you can blend up a smoothie at work, a protein shake at the gym or even a margarita on the beach. It's small enough to fit in a cup holder but powerful enough to blast through tough ingredients like ice and frozen fruit with ease. Blendjet 2 is whisper quiet so you can make your morning smoothie without waking up the whole house, a big one for me folks, and it lasts for 15 or more blends and recharges quickly via USB-C. Best of all, Blendjet 2 cleans itself, just blend with water, a drop of soap and you're good to go. With over 30 colours available there is something for everyone, personally I'm a huge fan of the carbon fibre. What are you waiting for? Go to blendjet.com and grab yours today and be sure to use the promo code THATUFO12 to get 12% off your order and free 2-day shipping. No other portable blender on the market comes close to the quality, power and innovation of the Blendjet 2. They guarantee you'll love it or your money back. Blend anytime anywhere with a BlendJet 2 portable blender. Go to blendjet.com and use the code THAT UFO12 to get 12% off. Remember folks, and that free 2-day shipping. Shop today and get the best deal ever. Absolutely. Uh moving on then to a couple other stories worth touching on. That went a lot, hell of a lot longer than I thought, but you know, <laughs> at least it wasn't a five minute show. Um PJ Hughes, who was on the podcast, God, about 18 months ago, maybe more now, with Gary Verhis and Kevin Day, um, and a round table I done back then that was really good. Check it out, folks, if you if I do say so myself. Um he was an avionics technician, which was someone who repairs and maintains electronics equipment on board the aircraft involved with the Nimitz and the Princeton. Um pj popped onto twitter after taking a little bit of a break to make some comments about the incident Uh, and largely for me dan i picked up focused on the the readings that were taken by the east e2c hawkeye um some of it was a little bit cryptic to which pj quite funnily and fair enough he said you know if you don't like this then deal with it he doesn't really care but it's i'd cool. rather people came out and talked around ndas and clearances than didn't see anything at all um he basically said the e2c hawkeye that was airborne for the intercept of the tic tac so the for those again and i am military i'm not military at all like you know i'm a layman um big aircraft that was up in the sky with lots of sensor systems during the time uh basically tracked and recorded electronic signals from the objects, one of them flew p g l edges and we've heard this before thirty to forty feet from the aircraft. you know we also hear that there are there are good images of that, which is the good stuff that we don't get to see if something gets that close and even a pilot took a picture of it from thirty or forty feet, that would be a hell of a good picture, even with a two thousand four phone camera. but I reckon some better cameras would have got images or video of that um what I found interesting though, Dan, was the signals were not able to be determined by the extensive database of signals the system had. So yeah. this plane has sensors that pick up all kinds of different signals and frequencies and what may or may not be doing it outside. And it couldn't figure out what was what was being said, apparently. The raw data was stored on the bricks, the, the storage units that were then infamously taken from the ship. So what were your thoughts on this, Dan, in terms of what PJ is coming out and
1: saying? really interesting you know pj's kind of alluded to this before and he he can't kind of elaborate on you know how big the signal bank is and stuff like that for for the hawkeye systems but he did say that the previous generation had a bank of 250 essentially fingerprints for technology so the hawkeye could scan an f18 and instantly just go cool that's the electromagnetic signature of an f18 that's what that is this generation has a database that's so much bigger than that. Um, and you've got to think, you know, with all the money that America are putting into these systems and defense, the chances are pretty much everything on the planet uh, would be cataloged in there that is yeah. known about. Whether it's secret Chinese tech, if America knows about it, that signature is in there, right? That fingerprint is in there. And it appears that when the Tic Tac was right by their plane, they got a really good scan of it. And the system just went, nope, this isn't anything that I know about. And so it kind of paints this picture that it, it's something a lot stranger than just secret tech. Uh, mm-hmm. PJ also kind of alluded that it was down the radio microwave kind of end of the, the spectrum. The did, yeah. they got. Um, but that kind of data is is going to be vital because it shows there was something there. Uh especially that it overlaps with the SPY-1 radar and the Hawkeye. The Hawkeye's kind of job is to be in the air and to connect the battle fleet. So if Nimitz is on one side of the horizon and the planes are on the other side, all the data goes up to the Hawkeye and it kind of paints a picture of the battle space using all of these different sensors. So those data bricks must have had an incredible picture on them of this encounter. PJ also alluded to the fact that there were probably more contacts. You know, we we've heard various different, or or to me, uh various different stories about the Tic Tac event. You know, Kevin Day has said the phrase it's raining UFOs, which mm. we've never really, you know, we didn't hear Fravor say, you know, it was raining UFOs. It was just one encounter. So what PJ was saying alludes to the fact that it's not necessarily that everyone's kind of got a different story, it's that they're telling different parts of the story, that there were more than the intercepts of just Fravor and Dietrich, that other people went out, and not just Chad when he filmed the video as well, that these encounters carried on. And of course, you would expect them to, right? If there's something mysterious there and they contacted it, they're not just gonna leave it alone and go put the data brick there, they're gonna keep poking it and seeing what it's doing if it's still around. So yeah, it seems that there's a lot more to this Tic Tac story. He also mentioned that, uh, Leo Elizondo has probably seen the data from the data bricks because they yes. were mentioned in an interview, which I thought was really curious. Uh, you know, maybe, not in maybe an interview, can... but
0: it was during a break in filming when they were interviewing. I think for yes. an identified, he said it was like during a break they had a conversation, and he picked up Lou had knowledge that he could only have got from having seen the data on the bricks.
1: That's right, which is really promising because personally, I was worried that that data had just been deleted and it was gone and you, you know into a vault we'll never see. Uh, but it seems that someone has access to this data. And so when people like Lou assert, yeah, this was an anomalous event. We should probably listen a bit more, right?
0: I wanted to ask, I don't, I don't know if I just picked this up wrong as well. And I tried to look through the tweet thread because it was, it it wasn't all over. Just the way he was responding to people was great as well. But I was trying to find a lot of information and dig through. He mentions that the radar for the Hawkeye had to be turned to standby for them to see the craft
1: yeah he, he was kind of getting at that sometimes some of these systems can kind of interfere with each other and stuff like that but for me what i took from that was that their their most technical system their most sensitive system was the system that was turned on and so when we're talking about whether there was something there or not This system would categorically tell you yes or no. And it seems to have said yes. And then we have the part of the story where he, you know, PJ says, we saw it with our eyes, you know, 30 to 40 feet from the craft. So, yeah, multiple sensors, again, and very robust readings, not just like, oh, it was probably a blip on the, you know, in the system. It was a technical error. Um, When you've got multiple sensors kind of picking up and painting a picture of this space, it, it just shows that, and I know some people hate this phrase, but it shows that there's a there there. It's,
0: it's funny as well, though, Dan, that we're just over 12 months and then another, what, 10, 22 months away from the 20th anniversary of that event, which given we've only been talking about it for a few years is a bit strange to say, but yeah, <laughs> it's, it's something that happened almost two decades ago, but there are still information pieces coming out. And, and Leslie Kane said on the... Uh, interview with Jimmy Church just recently. Um, there wasn't a whole lot of new information there, Dan. We we both watched it, but that she still finds that to be a fascinating case in terms of the data that's available from it. um And you feel that there's there's still more to come from that as well, potentially. Maybe yeah, in I those do. kind of closed briefings and in the background. And this is why we've said, to be fair, in in Congress or the Senate or whoever's going to be talking about this in a classified or unclassified way. It's one thing for people to say, "Yeah, tell us about Roswell." Well, okay, you can read the documents, but two thousand four, there is going to be so much very, very up to date data and testimony, and you know these ships are still in in service, and the aircraft are still in service. That's how how recent all this stuff still really is in the grand scheme of things. That there, you get far far more from it than digging back to the forties and fifties.
1: Yeah, hundred you, percent. You know, we've got Jay Stratton um, making some appearances this year, where he's going to be talking about his time uh, with OSAP and running the UAP task force. So he'll be on with Corbell and Napson, no doubt, right? And he he was the guy who assembled that first report um, on the Tic Tac because he realized that there were these multiple sensors and it was a great place to start. So no doubt, we're going to get his his kind of overview and picture of what happened as well as probably more insight into those databricks of whether he saw them it's going to be an exciting few months and
0: uh, in the coming months what we do have definitely coming out on the 1st of march 2023 in both book and audiobook form is chris bledsoe's story ufo of god the extraordinary true story of chris bledsoe is its full title and is available to pre-order now on amazon Dan, I'll read the blurb from Amazon first off because people might not have seen this yet because the book was delayed originally from, from January. In the moment of his darkest hour, Chris Bledsoe, a deeply religious family man and successful business owner, had lost everything in the 2007 financial crisis and was suffering from a debilitating chronic disease. On his knees along the banks of the Cape Fear River, he cries out to God in a desperate plea for help. Suddenly, a UFO appears and saves his life, and also cures him of his illness. Experiencing four hours of missing time and witnessed by three shocked co-workers and his teenage son, they run for their lives as several UFOs chase them home. This is the story, the true story, sorry, of hope, love, lies, and deception involving officials from the US government, CIA, NASA, DIA, a string of professors, and MUFON. I'll also just read you Jim Semivan's quote, which I'm guessing is going to be taken from probably the back as a, as a selling point or or maybe the forward. Jim Semivan says, Chris has probably been visited officially and unofficially by more government types and UFO researchers than any other contactee or experiencer. There's a reason for this. The story Chris tells touches very close to home for many government officials, scientists and academics who have either had a similar experience themselves or who are aware of some elements in Chris's story that they have either personally seen or experienced before, officially or unofficially. The Invisible College indeed took notice, and so should you. Thoughts, Dan? Because I know you've, you've said a few times about the, the title of the book, the, the cover that's been chosen for the book. I know you've got some thoughts on as an artiste, as they say, and um, just general <laughs> thoughts on what you expect from the book.
1: Yeah. So Chris's story is a really interesting one. Uh, It's obviously been expanded on with uh, his son, Ryan's podcast. Uh, But if you go back to those, we always refer to to Richard Dolan's, I think four or five part interview with Chris, where he really goes into everything in detail. Uh, You you know, it's a really compelling and interesting story that does, as Sammy Van says there, it doesn't involve a lot of government contact. Even, you know, Tom and Lou went to see Chris. uh, And there are some photos around online, uh, when, went to the stars was kind of starting to pick up pace, you know, they went to see Chris to to talk about Mm -hmm. maybe telling his story. So it's interesting that they were interested, right? I'm really curious to, to kind of see Chris elaborate that the idea of UFO of God, you know, they, they have this religious take religious angle on the phenomena that not everyone agrees with and, I would include myself in that, just in the sense that you know, when when something comes down in a spaceship and and says, "I am God," you you've got to quote Star Trek and be all, "What does God need with a spaceship?" You know, uh, mm-hmm. these Washering things. Of, oh, there we are. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there you go. <laughs> yeah, I was just going to say these things seem to be able to present uh, whatever image they want to us. There are so many cases where. People see one thing and a witness next to them will see a complete other thing. So we know that there's cognitive manipulation there. And that's why I'm a little bit skeptical about it being a religious thing uh, and wonder that maybe, you know, whether our expectations influence how it appears to us. The cover is interesting to me because it's a cover that uh, it's a painting that is often kind of said to evoke the phenomena. You know, you've got Jesus there making the symbol with his hand holding an orb that has three lights in it. Uh, however, I would implore everyone to go watch uh, "The Lost Leonardo," uh, that basically describes how that painting isn't even necessarily a Da Vinci painting, and that was repainted. You know, about I want to say like eighty-five to ninety percent of it was repainted by a, a painting repair specialist. And there's a there's a whole bunch of horror around that painting, how much it was sold for, you know, its history and things like that. It's not necessarily straight up and. What, what it seems to be so I'd recommend everyone go watch that documentary just so they're a bit informed about that painting and, and the ideas around it but just long story short it's potentially a fake that was legitimized through one of the biggest you know the highest uh, auctions for uh, art being sold in the history of the world ever and it now lives in Saudi and the the film kind of puts the idea forward that actually this this was legitimized because it was sold for such a high amount and now it's worth that amount regardless of whether it's a da vinci painting or not which is kind of interesting you, you know the value of art is always up for debate but yeah what, what are your thoughts are you, are you looking forward to reading the book
0: yeah i am um i, th- I think i've always been not on the fence with it I, I find the story fascinating and i think there are far too many agencies who have been involved and visited the bledzo's for this just to be to be nothing because there's too much there and the the amount of pictures that that ryan Bledsoe particular has posted online of his family with again quite important officials and various pictures is again too much to to say there's nothing to it what i have said though is there are i think the same as other people there are times where chris or will post videos online which they could just be satellites you know above the property and it's hard to to say otherwise just because um there's no other data around it and there's no context there's a light in the sky moving along so but i i was very honest and i i said to ryan when i interviewed ryan bledsoe that the the orb phenomena is one i tend to struggle with at times not that i don't believe it but there are and i saw um on facebook god mark d'antonio and grant cameron having a bit of a back and forward Because Grant was taking some pictures to which Mark D'Antonio repeatedly but very nicely was saying to Grant take the pictures without the flash on those objects will not appear because what you're taking is pictures of dust in the air. To which Grant argued against that. Grant then took some pictures without the flash but in a very well lit room and there was no orb and yeah, so it's a very difficult one, the whole orb phenomena and I don't disbelieve people who say they have seen them the photographs you can't deny though, look like usually dust or something coming across the lens because we've all we've all seen that but there are some really interesting ones so it'll be interesting to see how that story has developed for christmas family over the years i don't know has it been one that maybe it died off as time went on you know why would it have hung around it there's a lot, I'm sure, that we'll, we'll find out within the book itself and we'll get some context filled in around that as well because Chris Bledsoe, doesn't, like you say, doesn't put himself out there for loads of interviews. He will be coming on the podcast that first week in March and I look forward to that. And no doubt at the time, he is going to be doing a ton of different interviews. So we'll get to see and hear a lot of context behind that and from the book as well. So yeah, really looking forward to it. I'm glad to see it's finally getting put down. And um, to see, does the story have a full stop at the end of it? or is it
1: one that is still very much going on? Yeah, I, I, think, I think that's a really good way of looking at it. It's going to be to be continued. It makes me think of Dorothy Isaac and, and mm. that story, um, except with Dorothy, you know, she, she exposed herself to the media in such a way that people went there with cameras that weren't her camera and tried to film the phenomena and found that when she was holding it, the phenomena would appear, and when someone else was holding the camera, it wouldn't appear. So there, there seems to be... Uh, a mysterious factor to, to this orb phenomena. Um, so yeah, the, the more exposure the, that Chris gets, the, the better I think with this story, uh, you know, let people go to the house, let people offer to film it, let 60 minutes go, hey, can we set up a, you, you know, a yeah. couple of infrared cameras around your house and, and, you know, definitively say whether this is something real or whether it's something that's just, you know, dust or something prosaic, uh, That that's ahead of us. So yeah, I'm, re- I'm really curious and excited for all those kinds of things to, to develop. You
0: know what? We need to make a point of getting that interview, or that sorry, that review done for the Dorothy Isaac documentary because we both watched that, didn't we, a few months ago now, and we've got the yeah. notes for it. And it's yeah. probably good timing to get that recorded before Chris's book comes out. Um, if anyone does have an interest in the orb phenomena, that is one where even someone like myself, who is very sceptical on a lot of the orb stuff, I watched that and was pretty impressed with the quality of it and i really i think i said to you dan i was surprised by the documentary not expecting it to be what it was and yeah that there was definitely something going on there you know but without a doubt just given the technology she was using the the person herself her, her history her background her story um and that'll probably one that ties in nicely so yeah if you've not checked out uh dorothy isaac story it's available on amazon prime to rent and probably some other platforms as well
1: I'd also recommend people go listen to, there were two Points of Convergence podcast episodes uh, on the whole case where they kind of went a bit wider, went into the book, kind of included some information that isn't in the documentary. Highly recommend those.
0: Yeah, go for it, folks. Um, so yeah, that's out March 1st. And just finally, for uh, Ryan Graves has started a podcast as well, Merged, Merged Point. Um, one of the listeners, Dan, had asked Sean uh what did oh no it wasn't uh, him it was daniel sean had another question daniel had asked um what did you think of merged podcast first episode so ryan graves spoke to
1: gary nolan didn't he yeah that's right it was really interesting really well presented again like the weaponized one just the production value was really high and and it was kind of it took yeah, me yeah you know it, it looks like the Lex one podcast but it's yeah. talking exclusively about the phenomena, about UFOs, about everything you, you know that, that Gary does, and there were some really interesting statements in there from Gary, um, not least of which was was him talking about an event uh, organized by Sean Parker of, of Napster fame, uh, where Lady Gaga was present and listening to and apparently enthusiastic about UAP research. So it, it paints this picture that. Uh, there are a lot of people out there who are really interested in this but they don't want to be part of the ufo community i think we're going to see that more and more going forward and that that's kind of what lou alessandro was alluding to when he said ufology needs to die you know it's it's going to be redefined going forward uh by just the, the virtue of having more attention uh, you know we're not going to be in this like little side hole talking about ufos and aliens and pleiadians and reptilians and things like that it's going to be a mainstream conversation that scientists and engineers and people like that are all going to come to flock to this and yeah hopefully it won't be a mystery for much longer Another question that was
0: asked, and again, just before I go back to the Ryan Graves uh, question, or the question off the back of the Ryan Graves uh, comments, uh, from Sean, he wanted to know who we think, and we touched on it gently, what sort of guests will be on George Knapp and Jeremy Corbell's podcast, what do we think? Jay Stratton, we said straight away, I think you'll see a lot of the usual suspects, but I think for me, the value and, and what they could get isn't the people who are going to come on to this podcast and Ryan Sprague's podcast and you know, the black vault, that's those guests go on to those podcasts. Anyway, it's the, the testimony of individuals like Jeremy played on his phone who I don't know and can't get in touch with, but Jeremy has the contacts or the resources to go and speak to them. You know, like when Linda Moulton house sits and reads an anonymous piece of testimony from a pilot who, remote viewed the war in Mars from Antarctica yeah. in twenty fifty. <laughs> uh, no offense. Mm-hmm. But I, I I like to see that Jeremy could go and speak to the individuals and potentially get the audio recordings to say you were part of the Omaha event, you were part of the Russell, you were on the Nimitz to Princeton or events that we don't know about. What did you see? And you get to hear that or potentially see those people talk about them too. I think that's where there could be a lot of merit and a lot of credibility from from that podcast.
1: Yeah, I, I completely agree. You know, one, one of the things that Ryan Graves said was going to happen on, on the merge podcast was that he he would be introducing us to, to the people that filmed the gimbal video and, and giving us some context from those pilots. I think some of them are still active, but he, he'll be getting them on. So this is where the, you know, it's not just about having a show then. It, it's actually going to push the subject forward. And it means that when those episodes happen, we'll probably see waves of news coverage, so if these shows are regular and the testimony is regular, the news coverage will be regular. And it all builds this momentum uh, going forward that, you know, this, this secure system should be getting hammered by information submissions, uh, according to what we've heard. Um, you know, they should be getting a lot more reporting into Arrow. So we can kind of paint a picture of what we expect to see in future reports as well based on these kind of shows.
0: Uh, what i was going to say before dan was that ryan graves is on the concrete podcast that's concrete with a k and he mentioned the extended version of the gimbal video which he says he's seen and we've heard in the past that the gimbal video that's the one of the the object flying along and it appears to rotate but what we've heard is that alongside that was it escorting it seemed to be the five cubes uh, spheres inside of cubes cubes inside that's of spheres right, yeah I'll always get that wrong
1: um cubes inside of spheres yeah chances yeah, are it. probably some spheres and kind of cubes out there as well
0: <laughs> yeah that's that's the old versions yeah um so <laughs> apparently in a v formation in front of the gimbal that was really interesting and of course would be huge to see and he saw it said he saw a longer version of it and i asked the listeners you know what what sort of videos would they like to see longer versions of and i asked you that at the start dan uh, before we hit record did you have a think of what video you would
1: yeah, I mean, the, the gimbal one is definitely high up there for me, purely because we know that, that, that there exists an extended form of that video that would take the theories of, of folk like, you know, Mr. West and, and just blow them out of the water and, and generate a lot more questions and a lot more interesting kind of simulations to put together that would allude to this being anomalous. The videos that I would like to see the extended version of that aren't any of those three videos, because that's kind of the easy answer, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, would be the things like, you know, we have videos from the Gulf Breeze sightings, um, but we can see the, the UFO leave in that case. So I'm not sure how valuable a longer version of that would be. But certainly things like the Omaha sphere, you know, we can see that that goes into the water. Um, the video starts with it kind of floating along. I, I want to see the data either side of those two portions, because, mm-hmm. you know, if if it's a swell like the debunkers think, then that swell is going to reduce and the sphere will still be there. You know, it'll give us context and, and a bit more information about what happened. Um, also, chances are that's not the only sphere they filmed. Right. So even though on a technicality, I'm not asking for a longer video, I'm asking for other videos from the same event. Um, it would probably be that one. <laughs>
0: Well, Randy Sharp said, great question, Andy. I've not read the thread yet, but I love it. And he's not made a suggestion, but I just like the fact that he complimented me. Um, Justin said the gimbal video as well. Um, The other bin said the Navy must have high-speed footage of Tic Tacs. I want to see that. Also the 23-minute video. Really good one from Andrew Meakin, and this came up a few times, was Holloman Air Force Base. And there is that documentary that has the the faraway shot of what is allegedly the UFO that lands on the airstrip at Holloman. Like a
1: white dot coming down. Yeah. And and we hear the the full video, Uh
0: exactly. We hear the full video, the thing lands and everything else, but that would be an incredible one to see. Um, Gimbal, Graham Rendell, Gimbal, uh, Dan Zetterstrom at Gimbal Omaha. Both <laughs> I, I didn't actually see that you'd um, replied. I, I like that I'm
1: consistent there as well with because I forgot that yeah. I replied yeah. that.
0: <laughs> yeah. I love how you did say, though, that, you know, not those three, that would be too easy, but your first answer was Gimbal. Um, <laughs> someone said, I'd love to see the extended version of the 23 minute video. Well, yeah, I'd just love to see a minute of the 23 minute video. Yeah. Lots of Gimbal, lots of Tic Tac. Uh, Holloman, um, the jellyfish video that Jeremy Corbell talked about on Joe Rogan interesting um that that's yeah.
1: interesting because it kind of alludes to and there are a few cases like this as well where the UFO seems to be like a curious creature in the sky, like you know similar to what we saw in Nope as opposed to a, a craft being commanded by someone
0: I, I remember hearing on some some podcasts I'm sure it was like hubbard Hughes unexplained, and a few different guests talked about and I mean it was a bit out there, but and I, I, I suppose similar to the the movie nope where the object spoiler alert folks if you have not seen it it's been out a while now and um, the object is a living creature and one of the guests on howard hughes talked about how there are living creatures that live in the sky who could be ufos that we just don't know but their natural habitat is the clouds and the the different layers of the atmosphere and it's uh-huh. a bit of a stretch but i, li- I like the theory i like the, the thinking um uh, a few other people said james fox talked about the alien autopsy videos the virginia evidence phoenix lights um I think for me, and it's not, I i suppose I'm going against my own question here, but just the video I'd like to see that we've seen stills of allegedly, sure. is the, the two gents who filmed the UFO above their car that I spoke to James Fox about, Chuck Clark The Chuck Chuck Footage video. Yeah, Yeah, where it was kind of like
1: they described it as somewhat alive, like a
0: lava like. Yeah, like a pendulum was going out over the top. I don't care how degraded that footage allegedly is now, I would still want to see it. Because if it's that good, I'll squint with one eye and close the other and everything else. Like, but yeah, that that for me is a a must see.
1: On on that footage, um, I remember when it was first described by James that a light bulb went off in my head. I was like, I think, I think I've seen that in a movie. So I went looking for it um, and there's actually a scene in a film called Phoenix Forgotten that is very reminiscent of it. You know, a bunch of people are kind of in the middle of nowhere, they're by a cabin, um, they're in the car and this thing comes over the car. You don't see it swinging like a pendulum or anything like that. Mm -hmm. So I'm not insinuating that someone's seen this film and then kind of passing off as this footage, but I thought it was interesting that that was included. And, and that was a film made by quite a heavy hitter in terms of, you know, the producer as well. So I wonder if it's, you know, maybe something that he saw and actually this video is being passed around in circles that we just don't know about.
0: Absolutely. Well, Dan, uh, the any news that's coming up in the next week or so that you're interested in seeing, I say that only because I've got something in mind. The Chicago O'Hare article hopefully will come out from the debrief that I spoke to Chris Plain about. Um, I know he was hoping for that to have been out already, but um, it should be out soon, which will be very much something I'm looking forward to seeing a little bit more of because there may be some more evidence or anecdotal information to add to an already pretty interesting story. Anything you've got your eye on in the near future?
1: Yeah. So I'm I'm excited for that one as well. The, the Ukraine UAP stuff came back up this week. Um, I bet, the, yeah. the, the head scientist that was doing that, uh, Boris, I forget his surname now, but he's responded to the criticism of his original paper. And he's made two more papers that actually include a lot more detail. Um, and he goes into basically what the objects are, why he's decided they're not bugs or, or birds or artillery. And he puts together quite a compelling case actually. And what what I loved about seeing that is that, you know, peer review is about reviewing the papers and, and refining the work and, and then going back to the instruments and seeing what, what else we can gather. For me, these two papers essentially refute what Avi Loeb said in his papers. So now the ball is in Avi Loeb's court in terms of showing that these are something prosaic. Uh, so, yeah, the, the beat goes on here. You know, it, it's worth paying attention to this because... Quite frankly, I, I think like at this point, the Galileo project should probably ship one of their sensor kits to this guy in Ukraine and let him use it and, and see what he can gather.
0: Fair enough. Well, Dan, really? uh, I'm just going to ask the listeners very quickly before I wrap up, um, if you can leave a review in the podcast and haven't done so yet, what a great way to start 2023. Um, stop what you're doing right now. If you're feeding your kids, put them down, run oh. to your phones, your desktops. Uh, Spotify and Apple are the big ones, obviously, but any platform you can. Leave a review is very much appreciated. And I have one final question, Dan. Go on. What do my 20 month year old son and the world of UFO news have in common? I don't know. They never sleep. Thanks for (laughs) listening, folks.
1: Baroque and quite steampunk, like Alice was playing bass for the Parliament. Of fuck. The little fucker hovered right outside of my window, and when I shut out the screen, he made it an issue. I don't think he expected me to see his ass, but I'd had some champagne and smoked a little more. <laughs> Meditated game state full on meta. I can't imagine how it could have been any better. I got to the top of the stairs and there he was. Like you awake? I was about to abduct you, cuz... I jumped back, and nearly kissed myself, and then I climbed out the window after the elf. And I woke up in my bed, and there was something on my head, and everything was weird, and everything was red. I called up my boys. They thought this was noise. They thought it was a dream. They thought it was my toys. They thought it was my problems. And I think I should see therapy And I don't know what it is, because it doesn't really scare me.